Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. No One Likes Us Clothing is the clothing range designed by Millwall fans for Millwall fans. Caps, t-shirts, polos, they've got it all. Visit noonelikesus.co.uk for the full range. Or if you're in Bermondsey on a match day, why not have a pint in the Blue Anchor pub and pick up a Nolu polo shirt, Nolu clothing, www.noonelikesus.co.uk. from the beautiful South Bermondsey. Except no substitute. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Nick and Neil's Summer History Show. Probably going to have to stop calling them these soon, Neil. The, the season is looming, mate, isn't it? We're, we're staring down the barrel of the 22-23 season. So we've only got a couple more of these we can safely do and call them summertime history shows i've enjoyed doing them yeah i think we might have to revert back to nick and neil's history hour and then we'll have to the neil and nick's history world cup history break or something <laughs> these are the important issues that our listeners struggle with um we, we we're doing a slightly um a mashup i love that expression listeners a mashup show. it makes me think i'm like a hip dj doing a mashup. Um, we we had a message, Neil, from a great club historian, well-known, um, good friend of, of ours, Dave Sullivan, following our recent ground closure edition, where I thought we did a, a pretty good job of covering the uh, the ground closures of, of Millwall across its history. But Neil, only at Millwall can you miss a ground closure not many clubs get one at all, but with us, we missed out one, didn't we? Yeah, you did when you did the research. Yeah, oh, I did. I did. We did. Yeah, but just for anybody listening, Nick actually researched that show. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was amateur hour by me. Well, I'd probably be honest. Yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. Do you think you've got them all? Yeah, well, you've got them all. There have been that many. There have been that many. Well, we said four. We said 1920, we said 1934, we said 1947, and we said 1978. And we were correct with those four. Um, but Dave has rightly um, pulled me up. Um, he's texted me. Uh, I've just listened to the ground closure edition. The den was also closed for a week in 1950, following disorder in a cup tie versus Exeter City. This makes a total of five ground closures. 
I mean, when you've got that many nearly, one is easily missed. That's my case for the defence. Um, but yeah, we, we missed out in 1950. So I thought I'd just do a little bit of research into Millwall versus Exeter City. Um, in, in nine, the game's actually played at the end of 1949. Scoreline, Millwall 3, uh, Exeter City 5. This was um, a home defeat, fairly substantial home defeat, I suppose, conceding five goals in the first round of the FA Cup. Um, first thing that struck me, now, let alone losing five by you know, conceding five goals at Coldblow Lane, size of the crowd. I mean, I know this was an era of big crowds, but 19,487 for a first round home cup tie against the Grecians, Exeter City. I've got to say that, that conceding five goals at home to uh, that tiny little outfit at the top <laughs> <laughs> Eight thirty-eight. If anybody, I do, I do actually, I do actually live in the capital of Devon. <laughs> rivalry. It's a dark day in Millwall's history that we conceded five goals to that mob. I tell you, we did. Um, this is this is why people tune into our show. Not only do we get Millwall rivalries, we get Devonian rivalries in here as well. Um, I found a, I found a. Uh, a, a press report. This is, I think it's from the Daily Mirror um, in 19, uh, November 1949. Um, just a, a couple of paragraphs. Tough time for Millwall, says the Mirror. Some Millwall supporters blame the referee for their 5-3 cup defeat at home to Exeter. And um, as an, <laughs> Nothing unusual there. And as an after-match precaution, the police took the referee and linesman away in a police van. Um, it was a tough day for Millwall. Goalkeeper Hinton, Ted Hinton, went to hospital with concussion and both Simmons and Forrest took turns as deputies in goal. No substitutions back then, listeners. Kids might not appreciate that, but this was the 11 that started were hopefully the 11 that finished, or if not, they went to hospital as um, Jimmy Constantine um, sustained a suspected collarbone fracture. Um, and Short, I don't know if it was Short, um, but I can get his first name, he went down with pneumonia before the start of the match. So we, we had a, a tough time of it going into this game. Exeter were winning 4-1 at half-time. Millwall made a plucky comeback, but the odds were too heavy. Or, as the Millwall crowd seemed to have deemed it, the referee was against us, Neil. Um, it finished 5-3. That was actually from the Sunday Mirror, dated the 27th of November, 1949. Our goal scorers, Jimmy Constantine and I believe it's Tom Brolly. Tom yeah, but just to add some context to that, uh, I think you mentioned uh, Chris Simmons. He was actually, yeah, but he was actually Devon-born. Uh, mm -hmm. Jimmy Constantine, uh, Ernie Forrest. Uh, you mentioned, I don't think anybody called Short played. No, I think he went down with um, pneumonia before the game, uh, Short. I, I, I've done no research on Short. I maybe we'll pick up another, another show. Yeah, yeah, but that would have been Johnny Short. The Western Morning News, 24th of January, 1950, as a consequence of the, uh, the haranguing and the police escort for the referee and linesman away from the ground after the match, had quite a decent... Um, in-depth report the Western Morning News, major uh, West of uh, England newspaper at the time. Millwall ground closed and the club fined £100, which was a substantial sum um, for our club at the time. Seen at the Cup time of Exeter City, Neil, the Football Association Special Disciplinary Commission yesterday announced that they have ordered the closure of Millwall FC 
from Monday, January the 30th for seven days. They used to do that a lot, didn't they? Someone actually asked a good question on Twitter why they would they, they had a, a, a time um, way of dealing with it. They'd be closed for a couple of weeks and then they'd impose a, a circumference of mileage where you couldn't play within, rather than the modern idea that you play behind closed doors. They didn't seem to do that back then. I don't know why that would have been. Um, it was so- I think it was probably something to do with the fact you probably played reserve games. So if you, so if your first team wasn't at home right. on Saturday or a midweek or something like that, that it really was a punishment. That <laughs> right. So you couldn't just you couldn't play there at all in actual fact. You couldn't even have the reserves out. That makes sense. You know, your ground was closed. You couldn't. Yeah, you couldn't. Yeah, but I think I'm right in saying mm. that. That makes sense. Makes sense. Um, um, and the radius, I guess, was because I would have thought that people, yeah, well, I don't know, did people travel far to watch games back they then? They might have travelled to Cholton. They might have travelled to Palace, mightn't they? It probably wouldn't wouldn't be so easy to travel outside of London back then. Um, that would have put a lot off, I suppose. Um, I do know when we were closed in 78, um, we played at, in the end, we found Portsmouth who were willing to to host us and it was it was a bit of a pain obviously to travel down to Portsmouth for a home game was, was there was a sense of punishment to it I suppose that was the intention of it um on this particular occasion in 1950 we we lost the home fixture with Newport um which had to be rescheduled until outside of the the close closure window um, a statement from the FA Commission says the referee and linesman reported that when 50 yards from the Millwall grounds, they were leaving the ground, they were in Coldblow Lane at this stage, listeners, they were subjected to abuse and hostility by a crowd numbering between 150 and 200 people. The referee received a blow in the back and teacups were thrown at the, at the three officials. Now, that's quite something. So teacups in the road outside Cold blood. I mean, it may be the more residential houses around then, and people would have come and joined in the fray as they're leaving the ground. For this. You, know, probably, you know, they probably serve tea and cups at the ground. They probably did. <laughs> they might have taken them out for that purpose. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, we've got a mob of 150, 200, a referee um, manhandled, blow in the back, and teacups thrown at the three officials. Um the, from the evidence adduced, that's a good word. I've never used that word in my life, adduced. The commission was satisfied that the alleged misconduct, A, it took place. It decided that Mimmel FC be closed for seven days from January the 30th and the club be fined £100. And B, that Mimmel FC be instructed to cooperate more closely with the police in order to prevent any repetition of misconduct by spectators inside or outside the ground. Um, in arriving at this decision, <laughs> the commission, Neil, took account of the five previous reports of misconduct by spectators at the Memorial Ground. So it's not like we we had a bit of a bit of form there, mate, didn't we? Yeah, it seems as if it's something that we've never stopped doing. Really, <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder if the FA, yeah, but they get a referee's report. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, no, the Millwall crowd have been up to it again. Yeah, but we'll just add it to the file, and the file must be, must be <laughs> bulging, mustn't it? But must be. Two, two, oh, despite Neil's disparaging remarks about the Grecians, to, no representative from Exeter City was asked to attend, um, and the manager, George Roughton, uh, was spoke to the morning news said it was not a matter we did not concern our club nor our players so they, they were not interested in the incidents um 
after the game. Um, Referee R. Mead. R. Mead. I mean, he was booed by Mill supporters. Quite normal. When he and the teams were leaving the field and a small section tried to invade the playing pitch, police restrained them and formed a bodyguard through which Mr. Mead passed on his way to the dressing room. Missiles were thrown without doing damage inside the ground. But the uh, the more over 100, 150 supporters waited outside the ground uh, and to escape their attentions, Mr. Mead had to leave in a police van. <laughs> you yeah, think of a few you know, modern day referees that we'd quite like to see in a van. <laughs> there we are, uh, ground closed. And um, Charlie Hewitt was quoted. This is from the, the Lewisham Borough News, also dated 24th of January, Neil. Uh, Charlie Hewitt, Mill manager, stated in the club programme, uh, the punishment meted out to clubs come as a great shock to the many thousands of loyal supporters. The, I mean, this this is a standard line that's been management over the years. I've always said at Millwall, and I don't think any Millwall fan can ever truly hand on their heart say it's come as a total shock that something like this has happened because you've only got to go to the, to the den a few times and they'll look and keep your ears and eyes open. And it's not you can't claim it's going to be a total shock. You can't. You might not approve of it, but it won't come as a shock. But anyway, that was the official official line of Mill Football Club, who expects the, the, their, their followers to behave like sportsmen and gentlemen, Charlie Hewitt said. Yeah, what wasn't taken into account was uh, the referee, Mr. R. Mead, was in fact Royston Mead, and he was from Devizes. Referee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for that mob, so... There we are. I'm just to close off the, the the ground closure that we missed. I think that in itself is is quite funny. The fact that you can miss a ground closure. Um, I shall carry that with me for many many years, listeners. But um, just to close this this article from the Lewisham Borough News. If if there's no, there's nothing new in this life, one of the first things that an old chap that I used to work with told me when I was 17 years old and I started work. There's nothing new. There are no new jokes and there are no nothing new in this world. But Charlie Hewitt is quoted in 1950 expressing the opinion that if the misconduct did not cease, the best way to preserve the club will be to move it lock, stock and barrel to another part of the metropolis of London. Um, 1950. So there we are. We go, we go around in circles. There's a a religion that believes that we move move in circles. Is it Hinduism? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about uh, moving the the training ground in one of our... uh... In one of our pre-season shows, weren't we? And yeah, but there's Charlie Hewitt prophesizing in 1950. It might be. There we are. We're still we're still in the same part of London, certainly 70 years on. Interestingly, on that point, moving the ground. I mean, um, I think Gordon Jago speculated on the need to move it to shake the reputation, changing the name of Colblow Lane to something ludicrous like Sunshine Avenue or something like that. Um, they wanted to change the name of the club. I, I've seen that a few times over my Millwall supporting life. What if we change the name to Lewisham FC or to, I don't know what, um, you know, some something more warm and cuddly than Millwall, based at, then at Colblow Lane and even now at Zampa Road. I think it still sends a bit of a chill down the, the spines of, 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 uh, of away fans. Um, so it wouldn't be the, the, probably wasn't the first time, there won't be the last time we hear of this idea of moving the club to rebuild a new reputation but there it was in 1950 charlie hewitt planning for your next trip 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Achtung, Mailball. The ground closure that we missed, but Neil, you've you've come up with a few notes here, mate, just to move us along, change the subject away from the darkness and disgrace of Mill. But um, you suggested doing a few items on trial games, um, which which some of us faded out of the game somewhat. The the, the the idea of a trial match, uh, an A team versus a B team, or white team versus blue team, or something of that kind, used to be relatively common. Yeah, but it was the preseason friendlies of the days, Millwall. From about the mid 1900s to about 1963-64, you didn't play preseason friendlies. No, what you did was your players played in a couple of trial games, usually on the two Saturdays before the season started. So it was your only chance to to actually see the players that uh, the club had signed. And in Millwall's case, it was generally a load of Scotsmen. So in the early days, yeah, but they've evolved now. I know that we've announced a game against a Swedish team next week. Hellaby. Yeah, midweek, yeah. Yeah, Hellaby. And, uh, yeah. and that was to replace the Watford game, I think, wasn't it? And, uh, yeah, but it's just interesting to see how trial or how your pre-season games have actually evolved over the years. Uh, yeah, we did have friendly games back then, but they tended to take place under floodlights. So you would play your English teams, your Scottish teams, and occasionally foreign teams. They there was there was a trend after World War Two, I think. Of yeah, foreign teams the travel up. became easier, didn't it? I mean. I'd... An interesting thing when I mean, obviously, as you look back at the the, the history of, of Mill Football Club or football, not just us, but it's just football generally. Um, obviously, with the the advent of league football, which in our case would be from the Southern League, and then we we played in the Western League, I think, before the the First World War. But prior to that, um, for the most part, apart from the cup games, invariably the FA Cup or local county or, or London FA games and the like. A quite a large proportion of the season was spent playing friendly matches against other clubs, just on a, a kind of um, 
you know, an, an ad hoc basis. And it was very similar. Uh, I know you're a rugby man by by um, by, by trade now. I mean, I remember before the advent of professionalism in in, in rugby union, and you're looking at the, the sports results on a Saturday afternoon, you'd often see the rugby results would often be friendly matches in the same way. They would there was there was apart from the odd cup game, there was nothing. They were kind of like a series of um, yeah, tradi- they ran, traditional games, if you like, weren't they? Around the merit table, funnily enough, I was just doing a piece on on a Leicester team that won the first ever Premiership in 1988, right. And uh, I was talking to one of the players about their big game was they played the Barbarians on Boxing Day and quite and the season pretty revolved mm. around that game. But but before the advent of the of the Southern League, Millwall, yeah, they played in the Middlesex Senior Cup, the London Senior Cup, mm. the Newton Charity Cup, uh, the East End Cup, but they made up the rest of the fixtures through friendly games. Yeah. yeah. And and when we joined the Southern League, you played, uh, you you might play a uh, Oxford University or Cambridge University or a football league team, yeah, on on a midweek, usually in an afternoon, and things like that. And funnily enough, I think we're going to do a podcast. I think we're going to record it after this one, where Millwall were threatened. Uh, that if we signed a player, that nobody would play us. That's not the first time or the last time we would hear that, I, I guess. So there was actually big money in in these friendly games because because you had to pay people and and it was a way of boosting the coffers. And actually, uh, yeah, it was quite an interesting story that Alex Jardine, one of the great, post-war names in mill history a former miner brilliant right back probably yeah. one of the best right backs we've had for the club he signed for us in i think about august 1950 and he played in a trial match in one of these pre-season trial matches as mr x that's very mysterious that's how, that's how fu manchu would have mr x up against him wouldn't he yeah, yeah. Well, I presume it was old Charlie Hewitt's idea because I, <laughs> I think he was manager at the time because they wanted to deter other would-be suitors. They wanted to have a look at the guy, but they didn't want to tip everybody off as to how good he was. So he actually appeared in this game as Mister X. It's wonderful! I'd love to have seen any game featuring Mister X. It's got to be worth watching. Yeah, well, um, I think. Yeah, but I think the way Millwall played the other night, uh, I, I was looking at something on Twitter and, uh, yeah, the Dartford game. Yeah. For, you have a Dartford trialist A playing, and I saw uh, now on Twitter. I think it was Crawley played somebody in there, trialist A, trialist B. We're all worrying about who Crawley have got lined up in their, in their game against um, yeah. whoever they're playing, you know. Well, it all happens in yeah. Well, it happens in in reserve games towards the end of the season when when the Premier League clubs uh, let go their academy players. They appear in under twenty three games. Yeah, generally trialist and things and things like this. Yeah. and you're listening out for a name it's just to see if somebody calls him. It's hard to beat Mr. X as a as a as a, uh, as, as a, as a nom de plume. I mean, it's quite interesting. I've just done a search on the the, the newspaper archive, um, and as, as you say, I mean, a very popular trial games as a, as a concept. Um, 
I think because they, people would turn out and watch pretty much any sports event back then. I mean, the crowds we've mentioned many, many times in the course of these shows, and even you know the um, the game earlier on that we spoke about, nineteen thousand have turned out for an early round FA Cup game. Whereas now you could close three quarters of a ground and still not fill up the the one remaining stand. So people would turn out and watch these games, and it's quite interesting to see newspaper reports. You know, nineteen thirty-five. I'm seeing nineteen. 20 Westminster Gazette, Mill Trials, um, Blues versus Whites, and all this kind of thing. It was reported in the press, and people would turn out and watch these games. Um, just a, it's a glimpse of a very different time. The game was very different back then to, to what we've come to put up with now. I, I quite like it, it's got kind of a romanticism to it. I quite like it. Yeah, no, well, yeah, we don't forget often back then, or yeah, but it was the case back then, that as soon as you played your last game of the season, that was it. There was none of these foreign... No. Yeah, you weren't going to play testimonial games or this, that and the other. You finish your season either at the end of April or the start of May, and that was it. Yeah, but the newspapers often didn't even cover... Yeah, I know football's wall-to-wall coverage now, isn't it? And you can get you can't move for it. That's right. Um, a different glimpse of different times, listeners. I mean, I'm just looking at your notes here. I'm going to steal some of your notes now. And obviously, that's always terrible when you do that to your colleague when you're doing a show, listeners. But I'm going to do it now. Um, the likes of Blues versus Reds, Whites versus Blues. I've seen in my and they kind of faded away in the in the early sixties. I'm seeing you, Neil. I mean. They, Certainly, I've seen some from the early 1900s, 1909, I was just looking at literally. And then they kind of faded away in the early 60s. Um, I suppose reserve football and the, the, the kind of move to the modern the modern idea of pre-season friends against other clubs took over from them, really. Yeah, and yeah, you can see why they weren't in favour of the match before. I, yeah, well, I found a cutting when I was having a look. Hugh Curran was threatened with missing the start of the season after he was sent off in a friendly against Barking. Yeah, that would yeah, that would have been the big old ground opposite Barking Station, and uh, <laughs> on whether or not the referee was going to put the report in. I, I think I can remember. Didn't Tim Cahill get sent off against a Romanian team for five? I think he did. Um, I think because the referees are always notorious in friendlies, they don't really want too much physical contact. Nobody wants physical contact, really, but they don't really want to be issuing yellows and reds, do they? I do remember the um, uh, the Smill versus Sporting Lisbon game in '93 when we opened the new stadium. The first half was quite um, was contested. Um, I think Rhino got involved in a bit of. Um, I think I don't know if it was fisticuffs, but it was a spat. Let's put it that way. We won the Portuguese players, and I think the both teams were told to calm it down at half time because the second half was much more, um, you know, insipid compared with the first. That was played as a a full mill atmosphere in the, in the new stadium. Yeah, well, Rhino chins Lewis Figaro, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you had to open the ground with a chin in, didn't you? Come on. <laughs> He did that. I don't think anyone was sent off. I mean, it's a long while. I haven't got the, the game in front of me, listeners. I'm just speaking purely from memory. Um, and I only just about got a ticket to get into that game. I, I left it late for I bought a ticket and just about squeezed in in the end. But um, it was a fairly full-on first half. And I think we finished up losing it 2-1. Um, but we were going for it in the first half. Like it was a game that mattered, you know. <laughs> yeah, quite ironically, weren't 
Sport in Lisbon managed by Bobby Robson. Bobby Robson. And as you, as you say, Luis Figo played for them. I think they were... Uh, they brought their first team squad, and I think we went at them quite hard. And I think that maybe angered them because they thought they were just coming here for a pre-season kickabout, you know, like a like their version of a trip to Dartford or something, and having have a knockabout. And then um, it turned out into a into a Millwall game, you know. And I don't think they were best pleased with that. Yeah, well, surely after wanting to turn the flamethrowers on, as he knew what was lying in wait. There we are. There we are. So there we are. So that's that's the ground closure that time forgot and trialists over time. I can't think of any other. I, I'm, I'm trying. I've always hated friendlies, and I'm just trying to think to close us of any other incidents from friendly matches that I've been to where which are worthy of note. I can't think of any really. Um, I've always despised friendly football, Neil. Even at international level, I despise it. I can never be bothered watching it. Yeah, but there was the great Hibs game, wasn't there? I think in the early seven. Oh, yeah. the, the, the ginger invasion, wasn't it? They they all turned up. <laughs> a Friday night, wasn't it? Something like that. I think I think Hibs brought their 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 firm down, didn't they? It was an, it was unexpected Friday night game, Mill versus Hibernians at the Colblow Lane. I think they they had a brief period when they were no one else was there apart from them, and uh, then. Well, how can we put it? How can we close that subject without going too deeply into it? It was, um, there was, there, there, there was a fracas. There was a fracas. <laughs> yeah, there was an exchange of yeah, there was exchange of pleasantries involved. Exchange of pleasantries, a fracas, and um, people were summoned very swiftly from their Friday nights in front of the television to um, express their views and opinions. Through, let's leave it there. But yeah, you're right. There was there was the Hibs game, wasn't there? That was. The other friendly, I suppose, as I'm talking, there's the the one that never happened, which was Mill versus Iran. Someone someone came up with the idea of Mill playing the Iranian national team at the at the new stadium, and I think that was due to take place in two thousand and four seven. It was whenever the uh, the, the, the July um, terrorist incidents took place, and they decided it probably wasn't the best idea in the world to stage a Mill friendly for Caesar Iran at the team. There we are. I believe Mill. I think I'm going to call that show quits there, listeners. Thank you for listening. Thank you to to Neil for for um, coming up with those those wonderful notes. And thank you to Dave Sullivan for reminding us of the ground closure that we forgot in 1950. Uh, thank you to you too, dear listeners, for, for tuning in to this, this, this edition. Until the next one, bye for now. You have been listening to Achtung, Millwall. Please do leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Danke schon. Up the lines. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.